Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Molly. Molly, I got a little suggestion for Cosmopolitan Magazine. Okay. If they're out there listening. Yes. Co- Cosmo editors, hear, hear. I think that Cosmo needs to undergo a name change. Hmm. Give credit where credit is due and rename the magazine Grafenberg. <laughs> Grafenberg. Grafenberg. Like you'll be in the checkout line. With your food, uh-huh. and you'll be browsing. You'll be like the oh. racks, and you're like, "Oh, a new Grafenberg oh, is out." Jessica Beals on the cover of Grafenberg. <laughs> Got to pick one up. I, I mean, I don't know if it's the most successful business idea you've ever had, but it's probably in the top. Five. I'm just saying that they've got Cosmo has. Grafenberg to thank for selling a lot of magazines throughout the year because I'm referring to Mr. Ernst Grafenberg. Doctor. Doctor. Thank you. Doctor Ernst Grafenberg, German gynecologist who in 1950 came up with a little something we like to call the G spot. That's right. You might have noticed Grafenberg starts with a G. He did not name it the G spot. He was not, he was not a vain man. Right. Uh, it, it was named after him later. But yes, in 1950, he described, I'm going to quote here, the existence of an allegedly highly sensitive area on the anterior wall of the human vagina, halfway between the pubic bone and the cervix, along the course of the urethra. And it seemed to Grafenberg that this little area could provoke particularly intense orgasms in some women. So then in... The 80s, we got a gal named Beverly Whipple who really gets where Grafenberg's coming from. It could have just been called the Whipple Spot. It could have been the Whipple Spot. But again, Whipple's not a vain woman, just like Grafenberg's not a vain woman. She gave credit where credit is due. Exactly. And so she and her colleague decided that they should name this little area in honor of 
Ernst, Dr. Ernst. So they call it the G spot. And since then, Cosmopolitan magazine has, I mean, every month, it seems like. Every month they tell you that they'll help you find it once and for all. I mean, I don't know where it is. Here's but a map. Yeah. 25 tips to 28 steps to finding your G spot. Yeah. It's everywhere. And so now there's this cultural idea that women have this secret button inside their vaginas that will give them explosive. Oh my God. Samantha in sex in the city orgasms. That will just produce fireworks of pleasure. And a lot of women don't know where it is. And a lot of researchers will come along and say, this doesn't exist. This is horse hockey. You guys are crazy. You gals and your G-spots. And that just causes more researchers to say, oh, you just must be really bad at sex and you've never found a G-spot. Exactly. So there has been a lot of debate about whether or not the G-spot exists. I mean, Molly, I'm sure that... You've had conversation with some gal pals over brunch about things like this. Yes, I live in a Sex in the City episode, Chris. Uh-huh, <laughs> I'm uh-huh. always talking about the G-spot. We go to brunch like four times a week. I don't know how. Um, but it, this has been conversations that women will have among themselves. You know, some women claim that it happens. Some say no. And then know. the men, the poor men are like, just tell me where it is. Yeah, where do I go? Is that what I'll, I'll do? It. I don't know. So <laughs> the G-spot, I feel like, has, has really... Just it, it can be this looming shadow in the bedroom because no really no one really knows whether or not it's there or not, but you can kind of feel its presence a little bit. And uh, it's the ghost of Grafenberg. <laughs> the ghost of Grafenberg is true. So let's get down to business, Molly, and studies. The only thing we know how to do. Let's yeah. look at some studies. Let's look at some studies because I mean that's the thing. If you want to prove something exists. Let's let's put it under scientific scrutiny, mm-hmm. and the results are decidedly mixed. Yes, and it's funny how as soon as a study is released, it it devolves into playground taunts over whether the researcher is just a prude. Because I think for a long time, people researchers really sided with Whipple. They were like, okay, yeah, sure. There's a there's this area. You know, there's this area. It's you can find it. And I think it made a lot of women feel like failures because they'd go into sex therapy and say, I can't find this. Right. And then in I believe it was 2008, we had an Italian scientist who claims that he has found an anatomical difference between women who have the elusive G spot and who don't have it. Emanuele Giannini is the name of this researcher. And what he did was he used vaginal ultrasound. And he had a group of women who said that they had had a vaginal orgasm. And he had a group of women who said they had not. These women claimed that they had not found their G-spot. And when he did the ultrasound, lo and behold, he found nothing to indicate that they did have a G-spot. So he was like, of course, these women haven't had these kind of orgasms because the tissue's not there. That the, the anatomy that Grafenberg described is not present in these women based on the ultrasound, whereas the other women did have tissue that was thicker in the area that Grafenberg described. So people said, huzzah, there's the G-spot. We found it. And you can have a test. Go get an ultrasound. You'll find out once and for all if it exists for you. And if it doesn't, you know, find another way to enjoy yourself in the bedroom. Yeah, some women have it, some women don't. Uh, no, No biggie, no big whoop. Now, of course, this gets an outcry. Some people are like, oh, wait, you can't just do an ultrasound on a woman who's never had an orgasm uh, in that area. It's it's more like a muscle that you have to build up. And so uh, these women haven't built up their muscle. They haven't exercised their G-spot. They haven't taken their G-spot for a walk. Is that Yeah, they that need to saying? 
I have to take it to the gym more often and like pump iron. You know how your muscles get bigger. There's only one way to make your G spot bigger. Take it to the sexy gym around the corner. And, uh, so that's what the, that's what the outcry of that one was, is that it would, um, it would be dangerous to tell a woman she didn't have it when she might have the potential to have it. But then this year, earlier this year, the Brits came along and they just rained on the Italian parade. Researchers from King's College in London surveyed more than 1,800 British women. And what they did was survey pairs of identical and non-identical twins to find out whether or not they had G-spots. With the hypothesis that if a G-spot is a trait that exists, it should be heritable. It should be an anatomical uh, thing that shows up in people who have the same genes so you would expect uh, identical twins to both have it if one of them has it. So what they did is they asked the women, do you believe, I'm quoting the question here, do you believe you have a so-called G-spot, a small area the size of a 20 pence coin on the front wall of your vagina that is sensitive to deep pressure? And they're very specific because they didn't want, you know, women to think that the G-spot was something else or, you know, be confused. So they were as precise as possible. So it's a self-reported study which is usually the problem with any uh, G-spot study, is that it's up to the woman to determine if she's had it. Um, and then they asked a lot of questions about sex. And uh, what was weird is they didn't even, the participants didn't even know why they were answering all these questions. I think that's kind of funny. Is if you if you were just in a study and you're all of a sudden you're answering all these questions about your G-spot and sex, I'd, I'd, maybe the Brits are different than me. Well, but maybe they didn't want to influence the outcome, especially because it well, was self-reported. Not. Of course not. But it's just, you know, it's I always try to imagine myself in these studies, Kristen, and this is one where I think I would have been weirded out. But is, if, is there a 20 pence <laughs> inside your vagina? But if you're a twin, maybe you're used to weird studies because people love to study twins. It's true. I digress. Um, so they were asking all these questions and the there was no connection. They They found that this could not be something that was hereditary or uh, ordained by something in your DNA because one twin would have it and one twin wouldn't. So they're saying if a woman believes she has it, there's more psychological factors than purely physiological factors. And some of those factors are kind of interesting. I mean, I do think this study was helpful in determining, you know, how you could perhaps discover a G-spot because one interesting thing to me was that the women who reported having a G-spot. And 56% of the women did report having a G-spot. So um, that's a good point. A slight majority. Slight majority. The people who said that they had a G-spot, they had also done a lot of personality testing on these people. Those people who claimed they had one scored higher on the personality domains of extroversion and openness to new experiences, and they're more comfortable discussing sex than the women who claim to have no G-spot. So there's something about being at least open to the idea that the G-spot exists. Perhaps a little friskier that could perhaps help you, or just extroverted in general. I mean, if you were, you know, open to new experiences, not just within the bedroom, but just in life, perhaps you're someone who is more willing to explore and find it. But at the same time, the researchers did conclude that there was no definable trigger for these orgasms, even though there are all these associations like the, the that 56 percent who said, yes, they do have the, the 20 pence spot inside <laughs> their vaginal wall uh, tended to be, you know, younger and more adventurous, like you said, and a little bit more sexually active than the ones who said that they didn't. But sexually active, but not necessarily in a Samantha Jones sex in the city way, because 
the women who had G-spots also claimed more satisfaction with their relationships. Right. And probably that makes sense because if you are with a partner for a long time, it gives you perhaps more of a chance to experiment around and find what works. And you really get yeah. into someone learns what you like. Rhythm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting that, you know, they found personality characteristics associated with this, but other people did not find that so interesting. And along came France. Oh man. To, uh, shut those Brits right down. France was not having it y'all. They I mean, like world war three could start because all these, we've got Italy so far, we've got Britain, we've got France. What if they go to war over the G-spot? Wars have been fought for sillier reasons. These medical researchers even had something called a G-Day conference, (laughs) okay, to discuss these findings. And uh, a French gynecologist was quoted as saying, I don't want to stigmatize at all, but I think the Protestant liberal Anglo-Saxon character means you're very pragmatic. That has to be a cause. There has to be a cause for everything, a gene for everything. And it's totalitarian. These these French, French people were so outrage that they said that, you know, the chance that the G-spot does not exist, that it is a subjective thing in women's brains is totalitarian. People are serious about the G-spot. Yeah. And it just, all these awful British stereotypes came out of these French people's mouths. Like, oh, you guys are so buttoned up. It's so rainy. You just want to have some tea. And the funny thing is over in the States, the conversation, I would say about G-spots seems incredibly frivolous because we do associate it with things like Cosmo magazines. So to read that these British and French researchers are going back and forth about this in really heated <laughs> conversations is kind of astounding. It's kind of funny. Yeah. And I think the best way to the best the best referee I saw when we were researching this was old Beverly Whipple herself. Because they went back to her. They were like, okay, decades ago you came up with this spot, you named it. Right. No one can find it. What do you have to say for yourself? Right, because Whipple originally conducted a study of 400 women and found this G-spot, I think, in all of them. Yeah, she says everyone has a G-spot. Yeah. She doesn't need any more ultrasounds or French studies. Uh She's done with it. So Whipple comes back and says, okay, maybe it does need a little bit more research, but maybe maybe we're putting too much much emphasis on old Grafenberg. She was like, let's... Let's move on. Yeah. Let's name... Guys, that was the early 80s. Come on. Guys, let's name spots after all sorts of Germans. She essentially says that this is not the be-all, end-all of a sexual experience. Right, because a lot of times when we we read about the G-spot, it's this... Yeah, it's like unlocking the door to, um, you know, the ultimate pleasure zone. The holy grail. The holy grail. Thank you. Like, Uh, find it, find it, find it, find it. And that becomes the goal of sex. Right. She's saying that takes all the fun out of sex. Right. Perhaps we are searching so hard for the G-spot at the expense of other forms of sexual pleasure because, yes, there are, you know, that the female anatomy is not limited to the G-spot, clearly. And I think as long as we can keep that in mind, that it's not uh, the, the holy grail, that there are other other prizes to be won that we can let the researchers hash it out. I will say the one good thing I take away from all this research is at least people are discussing the female orgasm and figuring out ways that women can have more fun in the bedroom. And I think that when you consider that Grafenberg only found this area in 1950, that means that female pleasure hasn't really been on the mind of scientists that long. Mm -hmm. 
So we're, they're bound to be some battles. Let them battle it out. But yeah, let the research, let the scientists hash this out. But let's all, I think, take the advice of Whipple and remember, as she said in an article with the Associated Press, the biggest sexual organ is really the brain. Well, to go back to our original question, the question of the ages of whether the G spot exists, here's my take, Molly. If there is anything that I've learned from all these studies, if there's anything conclusive that have come out of all these studies searching for whether women do or don't have a G-spot, it seems to be this. Every vagina is a little bit different. True. You know, the landscape, the terrain is, is different inside us all. So just have fun out there. And play safe, it safe. fun. Safe, fun. So now I will leave it up to our brilliant listeners. Let us know your thoughts. G-rated, please, on the G-spot. G-rated on the G-spot. That's right. It can be done, folks. Uh, Mom stuff at HowStuffWorks is the email. And in the meantime, let's read a couple. Well, I have an email here from Melanie. And it's an older email. I haven't gotten around to reading it yet. And it's about one of my favorite Favorite podcast ever, Women in Magic. And I'm still working on my magical career for everyone keeping track. Melanie writes, Melanie is a professional children's entertainer. She does, she belongs to several professional guilds for party entertainers, clowns, magicians, and she puts on shows where she's Melly Mood the Clown. It was a great email. I'm just going to read part of it. She writes, in the general industry of party entertainment, I actually think there are more women than men doing it professionally. The reason is because children are our customers and they feel more comfortable with a woman than a man. I think this is kind of sad, but it's a fact of life. For example, my cousin John, Giggles the Clown, who is a fabulous balloon artist, is unable to get near as many gigs as me simply because our target audience, usually three to eight, are taught to fear men. And no male party entertainer should ever do face painting. Right or wrong, people don't want strange men touching their kids, but they are fine with a strange woman like me. Kind of ironic. That being said, the men who do manage to break into this field, usually as the stereotypical male magician like you described on your podcast, make about three times the amount of money for the same amount of work. Oftentimes, a customer will call an agency and ask for prices for a party entertainer. They are presented with a scale from the cheapest, a costume character or a clown, to the most expensive, a professional magician. And what most people don't know is that often, the person in the costume is the magician himself if he didn't get a higher-paying gig that day. And if he did, then he calls one of us clowns to see if we are free to take the lower-paying gig. Now, she does write that a closely related field to this magic that I so love is stage hypnotism, which is really starting to see a surge in women. And what I love about that is that the women who I've observed doing stage hypnotism don't sacrifice any femininity in their performances. Their jokes are feminine, their mannerisms are feminine, and not just in a sensual way either. Very cool. And I agree, Melanie. Very cool. Thank you for writing. Melly Move the Clown. Melly Move the Clown. All right. Well, if you have an email, again, our address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Finally, we also have a blog. It is Stuff Mom Never Told You at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. 
Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Com slash compatibility.